Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. So I pray that we could just tune into the Word of God and the Spirit of God and allow His Word to come alive in our lives this morning. And if you want to read with me Exodus 14, verse 4, I'm reading in the New Living Translation. I just love the conversational nature of this translation. And it says, And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. This is God talking to Moses. And he will chase after you. Look at this. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. This morning, my title for what I want to speak about is what to do in the desert. What to do in the desert the desert. I mean, you can be seated this morning. I want to take you on a journey with the Israelites, the people of God. And if you just give me a little time, I want to show you kind of from a bird's eye view what's happening in this time around uh, this passage. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I zero in on one aspect of a story or one scripture or one passage, and I kind of lose sight of the overall narrative and kind of what's happening. So for a moment, I want to just kind of address this, this story, and uh, I don't want this to scare you, but I'm going to preach through three books of the Bible this morning. Is that, can y'all hang with me? Is that okay? I'm going to move quick, though. I'm going to get you out for lunch, but I, I'm going to move through because I, what I want to do is kind of just show you what is happening in the arc of this story and the people of Israel, and the importance of this is, of course, we see ourselves paralleled with the people of Israel as God's chosen people, so I believe this morning we are going to find ourselves in this story. And uh, we see them traveling through a desert time in this wilderness season. So rewinding for a little bit of context in Exodus chapter 6, if you were to look back, Exodus 6, we see that God promises Moses that he will deliver the Israelite people. In Exodus chapter 7, Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh, and this is a story where uh, his staff turns into a serpent. We see a plague of water into blood. God is doing these miracles, these things to get the Israelite people out of Egypt. Exodus 8, there's a plague of frogs, a plague of gnats, a plague of flies. Exodus chapter 9, there's a plague against livestock, a plague of boils, a plague of hail. Exodus chapter 10, we see a plague of locusts, a plague of darkness. Exodus 12, there's the first Passover and the angel of death visits Egypt. In Exodus 12, 29, the Lord strikes down all the firstborn sons of Egypt. And then finally in Exodus 12 and 31, after this barrage of of plagues and things, Pharaoh tells Moses, take your people and go. And the Egyptians even urged the Israelites to get out before they all died. So we see these these chapters, these amazing miracles that God is performing. Israel had been in bondage for 430 years. Just unbelievable. And yet they have been miraculously freed by the power of God. And so I, I wanted to show the, the, just the, the expansiveness of this because God is working his miracles on behalf of the Israelite people. And I want to tell you, if it's your first time here today, you're in good company. This is my first time at the Life Church this morning, so I'm excited to be here with you. But what I want to submit to you today is much like we see the Israelite people, you are sitting in a room full of people that have been miraculously delivered by the power of God. If there's anybody that has ever been delivered by God, would you just testify with me for a second that the same God that brought the Israelites out is the same God that we serve today? The power that we see exhibited here in Scripture is the same power at work today. Amen. The Israelites have been miraculously delivered. In Exodus 13, they come out of bondage and they're led with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. 
And then we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 14, our key text, and God tells Moses he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's going to change his mind, and they're going to pursue the Israelites. But God says, I planned this so that my glory may be shown. So camp right here. So the people see the Egyptians bearing down on them with 600 chariots, and they're afraid, and Moses says, watch what God is going to do. And God parts the Red Sea through Moses. They walk through on dry ground, and that same sea swallows up the Egyptians. And the Bible said not a single one survived. Exodus 15 contains a song written by Moses and the people unto the Lord, thanking him for his deliverance. But later in the chapter, we see something so interesting. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 24, look at this turn of events. Then the people complained against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you'll listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Here God is giving the people a little test, but he's giving them a promise by reminding the people, if you listen to my voice, if you follow after what I say, you will not suffer all the things that you've seen. You will not bear, you don't have to bear those things. I will heal you. Just listen to me. Yet another miraculous reminder of the power of God. God is showing miracle after miracle and promise after promise into these people. And this is an interesting contrast to what we've just seen and What I see is the beginning of a pattern that will continue to unfold in the hearts of the people of Israel here in the desert. Exodus 16, guess what we see? Yes, it contains another incredible, miraculous move of God, but it also contains complaining, whining, disobedience. The chapter starts explaining that they were continuing to journey into the wilderness. It says it was the 15th day of the second month since departing Egypt. But look at verse 2 of Exodus 16. There too... The whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. So God says, fine, I'm going to literally rain food on you. Okay, fine. God rains down quail from the sky and then manna, which the Bible describes as light as snowflakes and flavored like honey. I don't know what you got to complain about there. Sounds pretty good to me. But he says, look, you know, get what you need. Don't, don't try to save it. I'm going to give you exactly what you need. I'm going to, you know, I'll give you tomorrow, I'll give you more. But, of course, they go out, they try to hoard it. They try to take matters into their own hands. They try to get more than what God told them to get. Then they wake up the next day and the food is spoiled. And they literally can't listen to what God is saying. They can't do what God has told them to do. And I think we find ourselves in that, that story today. That we go through our life and we may be in a desert season. Maybe you're in a desert season this morning and we see things happening, but yet at times it just feels like things aren't clicking the way they should be. At times it feels like things aren't unfolding the way we would like them to or we can't make sense of it. And, And the truth is the desert makes people do crazy things. The desert makes you desperate. The desert makes you distrust. The desert makes you selfish. So again, we see this pattern. God doing something in this wilderness, in this desert season, but the people keep complaining, they keep disobeying, they keep murmuring at every turn. I'll give you one guess to see what happens in Exodus chapter 17. You guessed it. The pattern continues. They keep moving and they camp at a place where there's little water, a desert. And guess what? They complain, Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us? 
Moses says, God, what, what am I going to do? God says, strike a rock and water will come for them to drink. And Exodus 17, verse 7, Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing. Moses literally said, I will call this place arguing. That is what it's known for. Crazy. Because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? The Amalekites attack in the same chapter, and Israel defeats them in amazing battle. This is a story you may recall. As long as Moses' hands are held up by Aaron and Hur, Joshua and the army had the victory over the enemy. Exodus 19, I'm moving quick, but I'm just trying to give you a, an overview of everything that God is doing. Exodus 19, God speaks to Moses on a mountain. He says, Moses, you know I'm powerful. You saw what I did to the Egyptians. But if you obey me and keep my covenant, I will make this nation a special treasure among all people. God is showing promise after promise and purpose and future and declarations and identity into the people of Israel. So Moses tells the people and they respond, we'll do it, Moses. We'll do everything God asks of us. God brings Moses on a mountain and speaks to him and the people see lightning and thunder and God's power. Exodus 24, God calls Moses up to a mountain to receive the tablets of stone on which God had inscribed the commandments. Moses tells the people, and then Moses goes up into the mountain. The glory of the Lord appeared upon the mountain's summit like a consuming fire, and Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher and higher and remained there for 40 days and 40 nights. And from Exodus 24 to chapter 32, God is just giving them the literal plans on what to do and how to live and all of these things. God just pouring knowledge and future and planning into his people in this desert. Finally, we get to Exodus chapter 13, 32, a pivotal chapter, a pivotal point in this story. Exodus 32, verse 1, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what has happened to this fellow Moses who brought us from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold and melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. As I look at this, as I, as I read this story, as I kind of fast forward through this entire narrative, I find myself asking a question, how could they do this? How in the world, after all that God has done, how could they turn their back on him? After every time they've seen him come through time after time in a desert season, how in the world is this their response? How do they find themselves in this position? I've taken some times so that we can see this journey that Israel's gone on, but in case you nodded off halfway through, let's just do a quick recap. Supernatural signs, plagues in Egypt to get them out, a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire, parting the Red Sea, swallowing up the Egyptians, turning the bitter water sweet, quail and manna from the sky, water from a rock, the amazing defeat of the Amalekites, God's mighty power on the mountaintop speaking, God taking Moses into the mountaintop like a consuming fire. It's a lot. So how in the world after all of that could they possibly turn away from God? What on earth would cause them to act this way? What would make them do this in the desert? Literally at every point, God is blessing them and giving them promises and direction, and they do nothing but complain. 
No matter how many times God works miracles, they respond with unbelief and their faith fades quickly in the desert. Here's the reality. Here's why. And here's the contrast. And as I studied this, I came to this realization that brought such clarity and this entire apply to the people of Israel. And it resonates so strongly in me, in my life, and I believe with many people in this room because we are in this story. If you're not right now, at some point in your life, you will find yourself in a desert moment. You will find yourself in a desert where things don't make sense, where you can't understand, where you, you don't know what's going on. And in times like this, we may respond just like the people of Israel. And here's why. The first thing that I want to bring to you is this. What God meant as preparation, the Israelites saw as punishment. What God meant to prepare the people of Israel, they never saw as such. They perceived it as punishment. What God designed and orchestrated and laid out as preparation for the people of Israel, they never saw it that way. Let me tell somebody this morning that a lot of times your deliverance may look like a desert. Your deliverance, the thing that God is using to deliver you from a situation, may just present itself a lot like a desert. That may not be the most exciting thing for us to understand, but that is the truth that we see reflected in Scripture today. In fact, God said there's a more direct route to the promised land, but I'm afraid if I take you that way and you get into a battle too quickly, you're going to turn back to Egypt. God told him, I've got to take you this way so that when you come to the promised land, you'll be ready to receive it. But no matter what God did, they only saw their desert as punishment. They saw everything through the lens of them being punished by God. So because they saw it as punishment, it did not matter what God did or how many times he came through. Because all they saw is punishment. And I'm afraid that we do the same thing in our life when it comes to our desert seasons. We come to a service where God moves. Pastor preaches an amazing word. But yet because we're convinced in our mind that what we're going through is God's punishment upon us, we are completely closed off to the preparation that he's trying to bring us through the word of God, through miracles, through signs, through wonders. But let's rewind to our key text. I want to show you just an incredible thing. Because we feel punished. We feel punished by our past. We feel punished by these things that are, are, are plaguing our lives and our mind. But God allows the Egyptians to pursue them in chapter 14. He tells Moses, I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. You know what I love about the Red Sea story? God is looking at Moses and he says, I know this attack is coming. I know your back is against a wall and you cannot move. I know it's impossible. And that's the point. I've orchestrated this. Even in this, there is a purpose. I'm going to allow them to come. I'm going to allow them to get within an inch of you and then provide a way of escape that you could never do on your own. I'm going to do this in a miraculous way. I'm going to show up in an impossible situation and create an escape for you. So let me just bring this into our context in our life today because I feel like sometimes we find ourselves following after God. We feel like he's providing a way for us. He's opening new doors. But yet when we look over our shoulder, we still have the same problems pursuing us. And so we try to reconcile, God, if you're good, if this is what you want me to do, then how come I'm still fighting the same old fight? How come the same old enemy that helped me 
bondage is following me. And let me tell you what I can learn about the story of the Red Sea. The reason that God allowed the Egyptians to follow so closely behind the Israelites is because at the right moment, when the Israelites got through, that sea came back around and swallowed up the Egyptians. So I believe what God is trying to tell you today is the reason those things keep pursuing you is because at the right time, I'm going to destroy them forever. So you're not going to have to look over your shoulder anymore because that problem is going to be eradicated. But you've got to trust me and you've got to walk through when the ways that I make. So today, don't get discouraged because you feel like you've still got problems in your life. Just trust God. Keep moving forward because he's not punishing you. He's preparing you. And at the right time, that enemy's going to be destroyed once and for all. Oh, can we just give God some praise right now? I'm not being punished. I'm being prepared. I'm being prepared. God's not punishing me. God's preparing me for the future that he has in store. I've been letting it chase you so that I can destroy it. I am not punishing you by letting those things pursue you. I'm preparing you for something even better. What once held you bondage in the past will never follow you again. I will swallow it up in the depths of the sea. I believe that God is trying to tell us that today. I'm doing it to prepare you for what's next. You'll never have to look over your shoulder again. You'll never have to worry about that again. You'll never have to use your, your energy and your time looking back at, at what once held you bound because I'm taking care of it once and for all. Somebody needs to realize that for, for yourself and your life. Yes, God has blessed you, but you feel like you go from blessing to punishment. You, go feel like, you feel like you go from a great Sunday to a terrible Monday. But let me just tell you that God's not punishing you. God's not punishing you. He's preparing you. God meant in his preparation, but they only saw punishment. Chapter 16, the people say, if only God had killed us back in Egypt, at least we had food, food there here, we're starving. And in every single story over and over, they ask some variation of why can't they go back to Egypt? They even ask, can we go back? Let's go back. Let's turn around. Let's go back. And again, if we understand the bondage they were in, again, we ask ourselves the question, how could they feel like this? How in the world would they actually desire to go back to bondage? But I realize this, when you have an improper perspective, when you see what God is doing as punishment and not preparation, you will desire bondage. You will desire what once held you bound. Not because God's not good, not because God's not able, but because you're refusing to see what God is trying to do with you because bondage has its own sort of twisted comfort. Bondage has its own sort of twisted uh, things that make you feel like this is comfortable, this is easy, this is, what, this is what makes me feel good in the moment. So they may have fed them the right things, but at night they were slaves. So when they get out to the wilderness, all of a sudden it's not, oh man, living for God is not what I thought. It's not perfect. It's, it's not exactly just wonderful every single day. There's, it's a little uncomfortable. It's a little difficult. Maybe I should go back to what's comfortable. But if you see what God is doing as punishment, then yes, you'll want to go back. That's easier. That's simpler. I can do that. But if you see it as preparation, then you're going to forge ahead because you know that God has a future in store for you. Amen. And, and we see this come to a head in chapter 32 to the extreme that the people completely turned their back on God because they thought they were being punished in the desert. And if you look carefully, it's not because things were bad. They didn't turn their back on God and have the golden calf because God wasn't doing what he said he would do. God didn't go back on his word. No, the reason they turned their back on God was simply because it was taking too long. If you don't trust the plans of God, the first thing to go is the timeline of God. 
The people knew the promises. They knew exactly what was going on. They saw the mountain. They saw Moses go up in the mountain. It wasn't a mystery. But because they saw punishment instead of preparation, they took the timeline into their own hands and messed everything up. Someone needs to hear this today. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. Anybody remember that song? If I could sing, I would sing it for you today, but you don't want to, you don't want to hear that. But, but when you don't trust the plans of God, when the people of Israel turned their back on the plans of God, they took things into their own hands. Let me say it this way. You cannot separate the plan of God from the process of God. We all want the promise, but we want the promise right now. But if you want the promise, you've got to go through the process. And sometimes the process may be uncomfortable, but let me just encourage somebody today that the process is worth it. The promise is worth it. The promises of God are worth going through the uncomfortable process of God because what's on the other side is so much better than where you came from. So you need to submit to the process of God and put yourself back in God's timeline and say, God, I've been trying to mess this up, but I'm going to submit to you. Whatever you say, I'll do it. Even if it's not going the way I wanted to go now, I will trust you. Why? Because I'm not being punished. I'm being prepared. Let me say it another way. You need to stop sacrificing what's right for what's right now. Somebody, you've sacrificed your consecrations. You got tired of waiting. You want a little bit of immediate gratification. So you've sacrificed things that are important because you want it right now. Stop sacrificing what's right for what's right now. You keep going back to that bad relationship because you don't see the immediate benefits of what God has for you. You keep going back to your bad habits because you're not patient enough to wait on God to come through when you begin exhibiting good habits. The first thing that goes is God's timeline. When you start to, you start to discount the, the plans of God, the first thing to go is the timeline of God. And then we get frustrated, not because God's not good, not because God's promises are gone, but because we just can't wait on him. I'm trying to wake somebody up this morning and tell you that the desert you find yourself in is not punishment, but it's preparation for the future that God has for you. But let me tell you, if you don't use this time properly, you're not going to be ready for the blessing that God wants to bring. Because the people saw everything happening as punishment and not preparation, they refused to wait on God. He's not punishing you. He's preparing you. So what's the difference maker between preparation and punishment, you may ask? Why did they see punishment and not preparation? Why do we see things that way, and, and how can we avoid it? I would say the missing ingredient is so simple but so difficult to live out every day, and it's simply faith. Faith that God knows what he's doing. Faith keeps you dedicated to the course. Faith is so important because we can't see exactly where God is taking us. We have to have faith. In other areas of life, preparation is easy to understand and respond accordingly to because we know the outcome. A player on a basketball team understands this. Team comes to practice. Coach begins barking orders. Everyone on the baseline, we're going to run suicides. If you ever play basketball, when I said that, like you got a little, it just in your spirit, you felt it. You just run lots of running. You don't want to know. Lots of running, okay? But, but the way that the athlete views those things, if he sees punishment or preparation, is going to really dictate how he approaches every single exercise. If he thinks it's punishment, he's going to do the bare minimum. He's going to get through it and get out. But the driven athlete knows that at the end of the week, there's a game. At the end of the season, there's a championship. If he knows the goal, if he knows where he's going, he's not going to see these things as punishment, but he's going to know that they are preparation. 
On top of that, even things that feel like punishment, he embraces. Why? Because he knows that it's strengthening him. So all of a sudden, he's not begging to leave practice. He's begging to stay. All of a sudden, he's begging the coach, what other drills can I do? What else can I do? Things that may hurt him now, things that may seem painful, he says, I want to do more of that because I know it's going to make me stronger when the time comes. What am I saying? I'm saying that someone may have come in here and maybe your prayer was, oh, God, please, I I wish the devil would just stop bothering me. Devil, just please stop hurting me so much. You're just bothering me. I just can't seem to get through a day. I just drag myself through a day. But I just think that you can shift your perspective because if you understand that it's preparation and not punishment, you can walk out those doors and tomorrow morning you can say, you know what, devil? Do your worst. Go ahead and bring out whatever you've got. Why? Because you may think you're punishing me. You may think you're crushing me. But I know that with God, I'm being prepared for something even better. So bring it on, devil. I'm not afraid of what you've got because God is just preparing me for the future that he has in store. I'm being prepared, not punished. 1 Corinthians 9.25 encapsulates this so well. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away but we do it for an eternal prize. I believe that someone needs to open up the filing cabinet of your memory and begin relabeling some things. You've got a drawer marked pain that you've placed so many memories in, so many things that just get placed in that that little filing cabinet folder of your life and your mind. I believe you need to rip that label off and rewrite preparation. Because you may see now, oh God, that thing that I thought was going to take me out, that thing that I'm so frustrated about, all I saw was pain. But now, God, I can see that you were just preparing me for the next thing in my life. And some of you are going through it right now. But that pain has created a roadblock in your life between you and God. And you just need to relabel that and say, God, I may not understand it right now, but this pain is not just for no reason, God. This pain is part of the preparation that you have for me. Someone needs to understand this because you come to church week after week and you bring these pains and you don't understand and you're frustrated. But I'm telling you this morning, it's the God's way of preparing you for what he's got in store. That pain is not meaningless. It's preparation for what God has next. It's preparation. If we take a second and understand that God is not punishing us in our desert season, it's preparing. He's preparing us. So we jump back to Exodus 32, the people turning away from God. Moses comes down from the mountain. He sees this. He breaks the tablet and once again has to correct the people. If we continue on through the Israelites' journey through the desert, we go through Leviticus, which is all about instruction. The book of Numbers, they keep moving through the wilderness, complaining the entire way. And then we come to another pivotal chapter, Numbers chapter 13. And this is where they are on the, right to the promised land. They're right there. And it says, the Lord now said to Moses, Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So the men go and scout the land. They bring back a report. They say, we enter the land, it's incredible, flowing with milk and honey. But the people are huge, all different nations, even giants. Skip down to verse 30. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. He said, let us go and take the land. Let us go at once. He said, we can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we fell like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. 
Numbers 14, verse 1, the, the kind of heading above this chapter simply says, the people rebel. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted amongst themselves. Let us choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. So here we see the consequences of their actions. And that brought me to a second realization. How could they look at this land of promise? This is what they've been preparing for. This is what they've been journeying for. This is what God told them they were going to inhabit. How could they be right here and yet at this moment look back and say, there's no way we can conquer it. Let's go back. They've come all this way. And this is what I realized. The second thing I want to submit to you today. Since they saw punishment instead of preparation, they saw their desert as a sentence and not just a season. Because they saw punishment instead of preparation, they saw their desert as their sentence instead of just a season that God was bringing them through. If they would have understood that the desert was God's preparation, they would have realized it was just a season of their life. But since they perceived their desert as punishment, they resigned themselves to the fact that it was also their sentence. If they could have only seen it as a season of life, they could have learned the lessons that season offered. They would have taken advantage of that season. They would have realized it's not permanent. I'm not sentenced to this for the rest of my life. I will have what God has promised me. But instead of preparation, they saw punishment. So instead of a season of life, they saw a sentence forever. And because of their disobedience and refusal of God's promises, by their own hand, it did in fact become a sentence. And then we see God's response at the end of Numbers 14. He basically says, fine, since you have no faith, since you've taken faith out of the equation, since you've complained against me, since you won't take the land I've told you, since you don't think that you can do it, you don't think I can do it, everyone from this generation, 20 and up, will wander the wilderness for the rest of your life. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give to you. The only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua, the two spies who said we can take the land. And this today is what grips me in my spirit. This is today what challenges me so strongly. What was meant to be a season, what was meant to be preparation, turned into exactly what they thought, punishment and a sentence. Not because of what God did, not because of God's plan, not because of God's will, but in spite of it. Their refusal to listen to God resulted in them doing the exact same thing they accused God of doing. And the reason I bring this to you today is, and why I talk about the fact that it was too late for those Israelites who rebelled against God, they had decided their own fate, but the reason I bring this so urgently today is because I believe that we may find ourselves in the same story, but we have an opportunity to change. Someone right now needs to understand that the desert that you are so frustrated about the desert that you find yourself in this morning is all of part of God's plan. And God is not punishing you today, sir. God is not punishing you today, ma'am. But God is trying to prepare you 
for what he has next. And what you are serving is not a life sentence for your mistakes. You are not serving a life sentence for what someone said about you, for what someone else did for, uh, to you. You're not serving a life sentence. It's just a season. God is not punishing you with a sentence. He's preparing you for a season. You may be going through a desert, but it's just a season. And I believe that someone today will be coming out of that season to see what God has in store for you. Will you stand with me this morning? I'm here to tell someone that you're not being punished. You're being prepared. And you're not being sentenced to this forever. It's just a season. And I believe that someone is going to come out of that season of difficulty that you've been in, that season of depression, that season of isolation, that season of anxiety, that season of seemingly never-ending difficulty. And I'm not just trying to say this is going to be your year. What I'm trying to say is that if you realize this, the only thing holding them back was a shift in their perspective. The only thing holding them back, it was not a change in their circumstances. The thing that they needed to take the land was not anything to change in their life, but something to change in their heart, in their mind, in their spirit. So this morning, the first person I want to appeal to, I want to appeal to somebody that you are carrying around pain, legitimate pain, things that you have struggled with your entire life. And I'm not here to say, oh, the pain's not as bad as you think, God, you know, oh, it's all fine. No, what I want to say is the pain that you have endured and you're experiencing is real and it's deep. And I understand that it's crippling. But to that person, I think, this is what I've experienced in my life. Sometimes I come to God and my prayer is, God, remove it. Please take it away from me. God, please take this pain away. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I feel like we get caught in a desert that God wants to bring us out because if God doesn't remove it, then we think there's something wrong. The, the, the perspective shift that I want you to have today, those of you that are dealing with pain and you've carried this pain around, maybe you've prayed the prayer, God, remove this pain from me, but yet day after day, week after week, month after month, you've got that pain. I think the change needs to be in our perspective. Maybe you need to stop praying, God, simply remove this pain. Maybe you need to begin to pray, God, show me how you want to use this pain. I understand that this pain is a part of my journey. I understand that this pain is a part of this process. So God, I'm not just asking for you to take it away. Show me, God, how can you use this pain for your glory? Because I don't want to be stuck in this desert season forever. But God, if I don't handle this pain, if I don't do something with it, I'm going to be stuck in an endless desert, not by God's design, but by my lack of perspective. So first of all, I'm appealing to the person that you, you've carried pain for years maybe. It's legitimate. Maybe something someone did to you, something someone said to you. Maybe it's your own mistakes. I want to tell you that if you can shift your perspective, I believe that God can bring you out of that desert. Secondly, I want to appeal to people that you feel like you're being punished by God. You feel like you are being punished, that things keep going wrong, that you just can't seem to come out of it, and you feel like you're doing all the right things, but for whatever reason, you just feel like God is not letting up that you're in a desert of punishment. To you, I want to say, yes, it may feel like punishment, but if you can just see that God is preparing you, if you can just hold on, if you can just keep that proper perspective, then when you come to the promise of God, you'll be in a position to take it. You'll be in a position to receive it. And finally, I want to appeal to the people that you feel like you're serving a sentence of your actions. You may feel like you're serving a life sentence for what you've done, Again, a situation that transpired in your life. To you, I say that you are not in a never-ending life sentence. This is just a season. And just like this season had a start date, this season will have an end date. 
and the ending of that season may just be dependent upon you shifting your perspective about this season of your life. And finally, God's not asking you, what do you see? I'm not asking you, what do you see? God is asking you, how do you see it? They sent 12 spies, not because six spies couldn't see it. They sent 12 because they wanted to get a consensus on it. So I'm not disagreeing with how big your problem is. I'm not disagreeing with how deep your pain is. I'm disagreeing with your assessment of it. I'm disagreeing with how we see it because so many times we see it as punishment, as a sentence. But what I'm saying is God wants to shift your perspective and show you that he's preparing you for a season. If you've got some difficult problems, I'm not here to argue with your observation. I'm here to tell you that your conclusion is wrong. It may look impossible. For you, it is. But for God, nothing is impossible. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.